Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Welcome to part two of the previous episode. One of the challenges in corporate America, as if there weren't enough of them right now, is the fact that there are multiple generations. You've got people from 20 coming out of college to in their 70s in some companies working in the same company, working on teams with completely different perspectives about what it means to work, to be committed and effective. And that has been over the last few years, one of the bigger challenges for managers in corporations. One of the things we wanted to talk a little bit about was thriving or adapting or managing in an American workplace. And I think that is an extraordinarily difficult question to answer today because I see this as a time of great transition for American companies. And think with me for a minute about what's happened just in the last three years in what I guess we would call the COVID period of life. And that is, first of all, suddenly people went from going to an office every day to not going to an office at all. And one thing I would say about the people in the US is we are remarkably resilient. If you think about it, everybody went from going to the office every day to being home and figured it out. There was no playbook. There was no graduate school. There was no rules how to do it. When I reflect on it, I think it's so impressive that we could manage as much as we complain about Zoom and Teams and all the other platforms that people adapted and learned how to use the technology who'd never seen it before and just got on with it. That's a very American, just do it. You get on with it, you figure it out, you make it happen. But in terms of corporations today, most of the people that I know are trying to figure out, are we going back to work in the office five days a week, two days a week, no days a week? What's that going to look like? I have a friend who is a partner in an accounting firm and I've done some work with them. And we were talking about how to manage today when they have three days a week with everyone in the office, two days a week that you don't have to be in the office, except if you're a new employee, then you have to be in the office every day for at least the first three months because they want people to learn their way of doing things, understand the client base they have. It's a training thing. But They also are willing to review it every month and see how it's working and how the environment is. So there's an uncertainty in corporations of 
how we're going to operate. We've got multiple generations. We don't know how people are going to take to being back in the office. There is certainly an emphasis today for managers on not just keeping an eye on the goals of the company, but also to really pay attention to employees in a way they haven't been asked to before. How are they doing? Are they thriving? Are they having some problems that we should help with? Is there something we need to do to help them be successful? There's an emphasis on being empathetic that we haven't seen before in the corporate world. Every company is going to have a slightly different culture based on their leadership, based on the work they do. A company that is a big accounting firm is going to have a different culture than a company that is a graphic design company. And it is not easy to understand from the outside how one would thrive in a company. And if you're looking at companies to choose to go to work for, and in today's world, people have choices, then one way to start to understand their culture is to look at their website, see what they print, what awards they've had, what stories they tell, what materials they put out. Look at them at LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media, and talk to people. And I always encourage people who are looking for jobs to think about information interviews with somebody who's working at a company that you think you'd like to work for. See if they give you 15 minutes of their time to tell you a little bit about what it's like to work there. Using some of the social media, we can almost always find somebody that we're at least loosely connected to who might be willing to help us for a few minutes to give us a little insight. So those are some of the things I'm thinking about when it comes to corporate culture today. Right. Okay. As I listen, I can't help. Yeah, we might jump around a little bit here. But as I listen to you talk about, you know, waiting your turn, and I'm talking now, and I find that I myself, I feel like I, I've been here now 23 years, which is longer than I've I had in the country where I was born, which is Jamaica, right. And so I find that I have both this high and low context, different elements of it in myself, right? So certain times there are certain things that are so important to me, like, you know, being heard. And if someone cuts in front of me in the line, oh my goodness, that's not a good thing, for example, <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, writing things course. down and having a schedule and planning things out, planning my month, my year. And at the same time, I also find that, uh, you know, at times if I'm listening to a conversation and I immediately have a great idea that pops up in my head, like I want to say it. And at times I do forget, like if I, I'll say, okay, you know, Simone, they're speaking. So wait until your turn, then you may interject and say something. And sometimes I forget by the time the conversation ends. <laughs> and so, so it's interesting because I'm seeing myself as I hear you talk in the broader context of the American culture. And it can be difficult if you're coming from a more communal culture and you're not able to really put your finger on what this American culture is. So you're, you're being so helpful to us today to just be able to put our fingers on these are some of the traits that are so important to like the general public when you're interacting with Americans and, 
and perhaps sometimes not to take some things personal because that's just how people operate generally. A couple of things that I want to talk about, about building connections. And I think before I launch into what I want to talk about for a minute, I want to come back to what you just said. I would think that that what you're describing is the reality for a lot of people who come here. And I think I reflect what you're talking about from my experience of living in France is you're always trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing, but you have this way that's inbuilt that's automatic for you. Yes, yes. And then you have to balance that with, oh, wait, that's not how they do it here. And it's challenging. And to do it for 23 years, it can't be easy. I want to talk about a couple of things that I think I've heard over and over from clients connecting with Americans. So here are a couple of phrases that I know make people crazy. Crazy in a, oh my God, you Americans are so crazy kind of way. Not a bad thing, just annoying. Is we have a tendency when we meet someone, and I think this is especially true when we're maybe at an in-person networking event. And we see someone we know, we're inclined to say, hi, how are you? Only we don't wait for people to answer us. For us, hi, how are you is like a long version of hello. But I have been told over and over that there are sort of two reactions to this. One is, why are you asking me a personal question about how I am? I don't maybe know you very well. And the other is, if you're going to ask me a question, at least have the decency to wait for me to answer it. Because it's very insulting when you ask me how I am and I start to tell you and you've moved on. You've changed the subject. You ask me another question. And Americans are completely oblivious to those two kinds of reactions because we just think it's like saying hello. If someone says to you, hi, how are you? And doesn't wait for your answer, it's because they think they just said hello. So please don't be mad. Give them a second chance. And then one of the other things that happens, and I'm in the middle of one of these moments right now, is we have a tendency especially in a business situation. And I think even when we're on Zoom, this is the kind of thing that gets posted in a a direct message in the chat. It's, boy, I think what you had to say is so interesting. Let's get together. We should do lunch. I'll send you some dates or I'll give you a call. Client once told me, a woman from the UK who came to San Francisco, that that happened to her although it was in person, it's long enough ago, but it happened to her when she first went to a meeting and she was so excited because somebody reached out and said, oh, let's have lunch and we'll get together. She was so excited to be welcomed into this new environment until she realized it was nine o'clock at night and no one had called her. And the person who said that to her hadn't called. And she said, I was so disappointed and so annoyed that for years after that, I never believed anything Americans said to me. And yet, as an American, I thought, oh, my God, what a tragedy. Because when an American says to you, let's do lunch, I'll give you a call. 
if you're another American, you think, oh, that's kind of nice, like a little hug, a pat on the back. Somebody thinks they'd like to get together with me. And also interpreted as I'll call you if I don't get caught up in something, or if you want to get together, I'll call you because the underlying message often is, I know you're super busy. I don't want to be too pushy about this. I'm going to leave it a little loose so that if you have time, maybe you'll reach out to me. And I can tell you that I was at a birthday lunch on Friday and saw somebody I haven't seen in a couple of years in person. And we said to each other, oh, my goodness, we used to have breakfast all the time. We have to have breakfast. Let's get together. And I said, okay, I'll send you some dates. It's now what, Wednesday? I still have her on my list of things to do to send her some dates. And if she didn't understand this sort of, I'll get to it as soon as I can, but we're both busy, she'd probably by now be thinking about, I don't want to have breakfast with you again. But I know if I send her a note this afternoon, it'll be fine. But the let's do lunch, I give you a call is one of the most misunderstood phrases that I can think of between Americans and people from other parts of the world. Wow, thank you for that story there. Kind of really puts things into perspective. I want to so, add one more thing about, do we have a couple more minutes? Yes, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. See, now that's just so American, so focused on the time. Uh, you can laugh at me. I, I am very American in that way. Very focused on time and deadlines. But I think it's useful to think about Americans and friendships. So in the world of culture, there are two ways of thinking about relationship building. And one of the researchers dubbed it the peach way and the coconut way. And I love people who give me a visual to think about. So for some people, Americans... We're very open to making initial connections with people. Hi, how are you? Let's do lunch. Let's get together. We actually call. We have that lunch. And we have lots of friends, which other people might call acquaintances. So you've probably heard your friends refer to, oh, my friend at the gym when we used to go to the gym or my friend from work or my friend, maybe you have some friends, Simone who are the parents of other students who are at school with your daughter or so people that you meet and you may see once a year or once a month and you don't know them very well, but we talk about them as friends and we Americans have lots of friends, but we have very few really close friends. So we're like peaches. It's easy with a peach to get to the that wonderful fruit. You have a very soft skin that you have to work through. And then it's accessible. It's easy to enjoy the fruit. And in the center, there is a hard pit that it's hard to get to. That's the American peach perspective of being a friend. Most of the rest of the world are coconuts. The outer skin is tough. It's actually prickly if you touch it. And it takes some work to get through it, to get to that wonderful juice that's inside, to wonderful fruit. Once you get there, it's all open. It's accessible. There is no space that's not 
accessible. And I have a story, of course, to go with this peach and coconut. I'm very much a peach. I really enjoy getting connected to people. I'm fortunate that I have friends that I've been friends with for a long time. And I love making new connections. And when I worked in a French company, that was kind of difficult. And there was one particular woman that I thought would be really interesting to get to know. We did have some interaction because of a project I was working on, but there was no no messaging, that indirect messaging that she'd be interested in carrying on the conversations we'd have. So I sort of shrugged my shoulders until one day we were talking about something and she said, oh, this is so interesting. We should really continue this you want to have lunch later today? I was stunned. So we went and had lunch and we had a fabulous conversation. And a couple of weeks later, we had lunch again. And as she was inviting me to something that she was doing with some other people, and would I like to go? She said to me, now, why didn't we ever get together before? And I wanted to say to her, you would barely talk to me. But now you've decided somewhere along the line that it's okay. And now you're inviting me places. I'm thrilled about that. But I didn't think I would say that to her. I just accepted the invitation. That's like the coconut. Because once you get through that outer skin, then you get introduced to other people in the network. And suddenly, a whole world opens up to you. But it's useful to remember that if you're a coconut, Peaches can seem pretty strange to you. And if you're a peach, you can wonder about, are you ever going to get to be friends with that coconut that seems so interesting? And I find it helpful. And every time I've talked about this at every workshop, people who are immigrants have identified themselves as coconuts. And it's been fascinating to me. And then they talk about how challenging it can be when you're surrounded by peaches. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) I'm getting so many visuals here because I'm sorry if you had like another story, but I feel like I don't want to forget this as I listen to you. I'm thinking of a college friend from undergrad, right? We come from two different worlds. So I'm a Black female from the Caribbean. She's a Caucasian female, American, born here. I remember she made a comment. She said, it takes up to 10 years to really become friends with Simone because, you know, it takes her a while to really let you in. <laughs> and I had no idea. As I listened to the peach and the coconut, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what she was really saying. And, you know, for years, I had to come to a point where I started applying this concept to my life because I would meet people and I would want to pull them into my world because I come from this big family and we always have people around and just lots of cousins and community. And I would invite people into that. But I had to start adopting this context of, you know, work colleagues. They're a colleague, they're not a friend, an acquaintance, a colleague, a friend, until they move into that space where they're finally your friend. I think I was confusing this and making people that I would meet and thinking that they were really my friends, but they weren't. They, they probably just saw me as an acquaintance that they just met or they saw me as a colleague. And over the years, I've been hurt many a times because people have put me into certain groups that I just didn't understand what group I was because 
it's funny that my friends were saying that it took her, it, she felt like it took a while for me to really let her into my world. Like I would just check her out. I would check her out. Is she safe? Is this a cycle? You know, do I feel psychological safety to this person? But then on the other hand, I guess once I trust you, I would just pull you right into my world. And then other people wouldn't necessarily see me as a friend because I was probably a colleague. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, so I struggled with that for so long, trying to make sense of it. But this whole peach and coconut, I'm like, oh my goodness, Eleni, this and, is now making sense to me. And I think in the peachiness, you know, we're easy to present as though we're what you would define as a friend when really what we are is an acquaintance. American friendships are fluid, I think. So I might work on a project with somebody, like planning a trip for something. I might work on a project with somebody. I'm thinking about when I was in the real estate business, and it would take us a year to build a building. And there would be people that I saw, talked to every day, saw once a week for a year. They felt like friends. But when the project was over, we never saw each other again. Sometimes that connection is based on some activity. Or when your child is on a soccer team, oh, I can remember. And you see the parents every week at some soccer tournament. Then it's a friendship, but it doesn't have depth and it doesn't have that friendship that you have when you are part of a coconut relationship. And I can see why it would be very confusing to have this American warm acquaintanceship not evolve when you reach out to really be that close relationship. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of people might be struggling and probably even take offense to people just, you know, casually interacting with them when they probably see the relationship as a bit more in the friends, closer, warmer space, but the other person doesn't quite see it there. It's just the way of thinking or the way people see things or deal with things. They're probably not even trying to be deliberate about it, right? I agree with you. They're not being intentional about it because how we relate to people is so culture-based. It's part of our understanding of how we're supposed to relate to each other. And that's part of what we learn from our families and from watching the people we're around as we're growing up. And it's not something that anybody ever says to you, okay, you're five now, so I'm going to explain to you how the rules of be being friends, you just observe and experiment, but there are some underlying expectations that are cultural based about building relationships. A French guy said to me, I have friends from when I was in high school and I really don't need any more friends. When I go to a networking event, he said, I go with a business idea. I'm not looking to make a friend. I have friends. I now need a networking event is about business. And it, it was a very eye-opening comment. I have enough friends. I thought, oh, that's really wild. How is there enough friends? You might miss some interesting people. 
Anyway, I digress here. Well, no, no, no. It's you're sharing great information here. So I, I know we we are both conscious of the time. We've we've been talking now for about an hour. I know there were some other points you wanted to make, which I would like to give you the opportunity. So under the whole the business topic, you wanted to talk about who's the boss. If it's new, it's great. See you in court. Or maybe anything you'd like to quickly summarize for those three topics? Yes, two things. Who's the boss is just a, a sort of a alert about treating everybody with respect because the boss in an American company could be the youngest woman in the room. You know, you just don't know who's the boss anymore. It used to be only the gray haired white guy. And that's not necessarily true. So I always remind people to treat everybody as if they were with the same consideration that you would if they were the boss. See you in court is Americans have a reputation well-deserved, well-earned for being extremely litigious. We probably have more attorneys as a profession than anybody else in the world. And yet, one of the things I think is a trend just to pay attention to is I hear and see more and more people talking about mediation and arbitration and more people training to be mediators, finding ways to not go to court. Even the attorneys that I know all talk about trying to find the ways to avoid going to court if there's a lawsuit because it's so divisive, so expensive, so time consuming. So I think there's a trend there, maybe not a little less litigious, but a little more looking for a way to mediate a problem rather than to go to court. And so I think that's a hopeful sign. And if we're going to end soon, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about if it's new, it's great. And the idea that innovation and newness is a benefit is so woven through the American business psyche. I came across a statistic that just made me laugh, thinking about our preference for things that are new and how difficult it is for some companies to keep up with this idea of things always happening to be new. And I came across a statistic about Lay's potato chips. Who would think that potato chips, I'm a big fan of potato chips, I have to confess. They've only been around for 62 years. I was surprised about that. But how do you make a potato chip new so people are excited about something new, something special that might interest them? Lay's has figured out how to have 200 flavors of potato chips, 200 flavors. And that, to me, captures this idea of individualism. American consumers want something that's special for them. And the love of things that are new. Oh, there's a new flavor of potato chip. I must try that. If it's new, it's great. And along with that goes our perspective that it's okay to try things, uh, whether they work out or not. In the Silicon Valley where I am, we talk about fail forward, fail fast, which captures the idea that we talk about is you can do it. 
You can try it. You can make your life the way you want it. You can try that new product because, and you can feel confident that you won't be discarded, set aside, called a failure if something that you try doesn't work. We teach our children a little rhyme that says, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So we love what's new and we celebrate people who fail forward, fail fast, keep learning and keep trying. And as I think about people who do that, I want to point out what one of my friends who's an immigration attorney points out regularly to all of us, that some of the most innovative and most valuable companies in the American landscape are headed by immigrants, Tesla, Google, Microsoft, Oracle. Immigrants have brought creativity, energy, great food, to this country and will continue to do so. Yes, wonderful. As I listen to you talk about if it's new, it's great. I know a conversation that I've noticed now for a number of years, and I suppose it comes from folks who come from more communal communities and tradition is so important. And especially myself being an immigrant American And now I have a child who was born here in the United States and she's learning American values from the ground. And you want to influence her to say, you know, this is who I think is important for you to be in the world. These are some of the traditions that my family have. This is what has guided us. And there's a lot of cultures who try to teach their children to hold on to those traditions. We love newness of things and the innovation and constantly progression and moving forward. And um Sadly, sometimes we we let go of so many important parts of the traditional world to our detriment sometimes. So I wonder what you think about that. I think you are 100% correct. In my family, we my grandparents spoke Yiddish, but they didn't want their children to speak Yiddish because they wanted them to assimilate and to belong. And so we all in the generations lost that ability. I think it's incredibly important to keep the traditions that bind us to the previous generation. And so I I agree with you. I think you're saying that it's important to keep traditions alive. And I would celebrate that. Absolutely. Right. Perhaps creating a world where we've, we realize the importance of both. Innovation has brought so many amazing things in our lives, making our lives better, finding better ways, easier ways to do things, more efficient ways. However, there's a lot to be said of the way our parents operated. You know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from history and the way our parents or forefathers did things that can really advise us not to make mistakes of the past. You know what I mean? My hope is that my daughter will be able to grab a hold of both, right? Not to grab to the, it's new and the innovation and at the expense of just letting go of all the lessons we've learned from the past. Absolutely. And I think as a parent, it is such a challenge to keep that balance, to bring both things into our lives. And it's wonderful that you are so thoughtful about it and will be able to talk to her about that and be aware. She'll benefit. I hope so. I hope so. 
I'm intrigued, Lenny, to hear what the topic about what we can say stands for under creating connections. In today's world, it is so important to be thoughtful about what you say that you don't insult somebody. Be careful about the language that you use, who's in the room, not to insult people, not to make fun of people. It often is don't tell jokes today that probably were fine 20 years ago. You'll find yourself in a world of trouble and people will be insulted. So part of what we wrote about is to be cautious and thoughtful that it's important to think about how other people will react to what you're saying and to be sure that you're always respectful of other people. So that's really part of what we're talking about. And then on a more lighthearted note, to remind people that even though we Americans, whoever we are, speak English, it might sound different depending on what parts of the country you're in. And to be careful to not judge people by their accents because they sound different than you or your family sound. So to be aware that there are different words and different phrases that are used around the country because America is has lots of regional differences and some of that shows up in the language. Right, right. So the importance of boundaries, so many nuances, subtleties, and so many unspoken rules. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I and I think in, in today's world, it's also important to be brave enough to sometimes ask if something you said that you thought about later maybe offended somebody that you didn't think about it until later. Yes. And to go back and check. I had that happen with myself. And I went back and checked with the person that I thought maybe I insulted. And she didn't even hear the word that I thought was not okay. It allowed us to have a really great conversation. So sometimes it's not only it's being thoughtful about things and what you say and learning that there are some new words in the vocabulary. So how to be more inclusive and how to be thoughtful. And it's a learning experience and ongoing learning for all of us. Absolutely. So in wrapping up, Lainey, what would you have to share about what draws people to the United States and maybe some thoughts on superstitions? (laughs) I think, and what I've been told, is one of the things that draws people here to the United States is the American perspective that you can try something and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. You can try something else and see what happens. That permission to experiment, to be an individual, and that whether we are successful at it or not, there is an underlying expectation that everyone will be treated fairly. But I think The idea that you can try and if it succeeds, we'll celebrate it. And if it doesn't succeed right away, we'll encourage you to try again. I think that is very powerful. And I don't know if you would agree with me on that, but I think that's one thing that I've heard from many people. Yes, I agree. I agree. And superstitions, one of the things that I never noticed until my co-author pointed it out to me is that 
On an airplane, there's usually not a 13th row. And in an elevator, in a high-rise building, very often there won't be a 13th floor. Because for some reason, the number 13, I, I don't remember why, is considered unlucky. And then people have their own particular superstitions. So you hear about that with sports figures who only wear a certain shirt. I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. And I decided for a while that wearing a Warriors shirt meant good luck that the team would win. And then they started losing. So I decided it was better luck if I didn't wear the shirt. It's crazy. We attribute luck to certain things, and sometimes we just make it up. So that would be my story about superstitions. Yes, yes, yes. I would agree, too. I've heard so many people say I'm wearing, you know, my favorite top if I'm going to the game or I'm doing this because it would bring <laughs> me good luck. It's so quite uh, widespread throughout the American uh, <laughs> culture. But this has been such a joy, Lainey, listening to you. Thank you. I've enjoyed, I've seen myself in so many of your stories and have learned so much. And as well, I can imagine our, our listeners will appreciate all of the nuggets you've shared here today. So thank you for sharing us uh, a bit of your day with us. We appreciate your time. My thanks to you. And I am glad to know that some of that resonated for you. And hopefully there will be some use to the people who listen. That would be really wonderful. So thank you again for inviting me. This was lots of fun. I enjoyed spending the time with you. Thank you, thank you very much. So listeners, check out Lainey's latest book, Working with Americans, How to Build Profitable Business Relationships. She co-authored the book with Alison Stewart Allen. And again, her name is Lainey Denslow, D-E-N-S-L-O-W. You should be able to find it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon or anywhere online where books are sold. Yes, absolutely. And you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to connect and have any questions. I'd be happy to connect. Yes. And do you mind sharing if there's someone who's listening and would like to connect with you on you know, on you speaking at an event or coming into their company to speak on this topic? Because it's so salient today. How would they connect with you for a collaboration? They can email me at Lanie, L-A-N-I-E, at worldwiseonline.net or connect on LinkedIn and send me a message or text me at 213-249-4170. Thank you awesome. for asking that. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is a space for people to connect and, you know, business is part of the conversation. And so we wish you all the very best in your business adventure. And I hope to meet you someday. That would be delightful. It's mutual and let's stay in touch. Thank you, Simone, so much for inviting me. Thank you, Lainey. So thanks listeners for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. Tune in next week for another episode. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.